And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. It is Wednesday, live from the bunker. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. The phone number, if you want to join the program, 800-YOU-CAN'T-CALL-US-YET. But we do have the live chat widget available for you to share your thoughts. Jason Hyde here in the studio. It is the Just Us League today. No guest on the program today. Tomorrow, however, it is our musical episode. Christopher Carter, Lolita Ritmanis, and Michael McQuiston. McQuiston, I'm, I'm probably saying that wrong, is go- they are going to be joining us tomorrow talking about their work in the Warner Brothers animated universe. They are currently working on uh, Young Justice Season 4. Very excited to talk to them about that. And next week on Monday, writer and artist Robert Geronimo will be joining us to talk about his comic book, Blood Realm. So we're looking forward to that. And coming up on the on uh, on Friday on Deep Space Minds, uh, we will have a couple of guests. Robert Meyer Burnett will be back in to talk with us, and we will have. Manny Cotto join us. He was the executive producer of Star Trek Enterprise in its fourth season. We're very excited about uh, about that. If you are new to the channel, we do invite you to subscribe. And if you have subscribed already, we do uh, suggest that you double-check and make sure, one, you're still subscribed, and B... Uh, have your notifications turned on and set to all because YouTube has eliminated the email notification process. Uh, so the only way you're going to know when we put new content out on our channel is either to have the push notifications on or you have our schedule in your memory hole somewhere. And of course, we've got it posted on all of our social media so you can easily reference that schedule. And we do try to stick to that schedule as much as we can. To make it easier, because appointment television is still kind of a thing. And I know you can watch this show, you can listen to this show pretty much any time. But the spontaneity of the live interaction is just so much more worth the time, right? I think? Maybe. Uh, over the weekend, the last, the last few weeks, actually, I have been... Bagging and boarding a lot of comic books, and uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about a couple of things that have come up in 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 that process. But first of all, I want to tell my Joel Holtman story. Did it? Have I told my Joel Holtman story yet? No. Okay. So last week, uh, Hugo and Nebula Award winner Joe Holtman was on the program last Wednesday. I did not get a chance to share my Joe Holtman story. And I meant to do this on Monday before we got into the interview with Matthew Lawrence. But here's my Joe Holdeman story. It's 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 not a it's not a big story. It's not a huge thing. It's just it's a it's a thing. Uh, so 
I was familiar as as a youngster. I was familiar with Joe Haldeman through his work in the Star Trek books that he wrote. He wrote two uh, back when Bantam was publishing the Star Trek line. And uh, my dad, my dad is one of the people in my family. Uh, uh, most of the people in, in, in my family were all readers. We all like to read a lot. And my dad had a habit for a very long time uh, when, you know, when it was bedtime, when it's, it's time to wind down and everything, you know, everything kind of gets quiet for the night, my dad would read. A lot of times he was reading John D. McDonald. He was reading the Travis McGee, Travis McGee mysteries. But one time I noticed he was reading this book called The Forever War by Joe Haldeman. Now, it is entirely possible, as I'm telling this story, it occurs to me that I am telling this story going off of my memory, which, if you've been around long enough, you know my memory is somewhat reliable at best. Not perfect. But I, but I, I distinctly remember picking up the book that my dad was reading because I was like, you know, well, what's, what's he reading? Because it looked different. And it was The Forever War by Joe Haldeman. And I remember being impressed because my dad is reading a book by a Star Trek writer. You know, and of course, I knew Joe Haldeman as the, as the writer of Star Trek books. Now, it's, it's been on my radar, The Forever War. I have to admit, I have not read it. And I got to thinking about this uh, the other day because uh, over the course of the last four years, I have been introducing Mrs. Boss to various different pieces of, of science fiction film and television and talking to her about books and, and, and comic books and trying to, trying to educate her a little bit and tell, you know, these are the things that make up our genre, our his, the history of the genre. And The Forever War is considered a seminal work. It is, uh, it is considered groundbreaking. It's uh, genre-changing. It, you know, it has all of this impact. And I got to thinking about the different, the different titles that are on my to-be-read list, my to-do list, my to-get-to-it-when-I-can list. And uh, it, it occurs to me that I think I, I realized this morning why some of these books continue to stay on that list if I'm not getting around to reading them. And it, I have to wonder if some of these books are not necessarily intimidating, but do they live up to the hype? And I think there's, there's a part of me that procrastinates on some of this. Um, one, I'm really busy. I mean, the pile, the pile of books that I have, that I have available to read for reviews dates back to 2012. So I have, I have no lack of material, but there's some of this stuff, Foundation from Isaac Asimov being another one, uh, The Forever War being one. Um, there are, there are certain books that are on that list that have been so critically acclaimed or fan acclaimed and there's all this hype and there's all this all this you know positive discussion and everything's so great and wonderful and biggie wow about this book 
I have to wonder if perhaps there is a part of me that's hesitant to pick up a book that's been hyped like that because I don't want to be disappointed in it. Because I have been in the past. There have been uh, books or TV shows. You know, somebody says, oh, this is so great, this is so great, this is so great. And I, and I consume the product. I sample the, sample the wares, as it were. And it doesn't live up to the hype. And some of these seminal works, I have to wonder if I'm just, well, I could, I could just be overthinking it and, and talking myself into a corner, which is something that I do every now and again, uh, because there is, you know, the to-do list that I have here at, at the office is quite extensive and it never seems to get any shorter. So, you know, it's one of these, I'll, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it eventually. Uh, and then eventually never comes. But it, you know, the Forever War for Joe Haldeman is on my list because, you know, my dad read it. It's got to be a good book. All right, we are 87 days without an incident. I'm very happy about that. So over the weekend, the last the last few weeks, we've been, I've been going through totes and I've been bagging and boarding a bunch of comic books, and surprising myself. It's like Christmas. Oh, I forgot I had this book. Oh, I forgot I had this one. Oh, I've got this entire run. I'm going to read it again, and it's been fun. Uh, it's been a nice distraction from all of the mayhem and chaos that is outside the walls of the studio, uh, and and. Looking at all of the different things that I've got, I've, I'm my my taste in comic books was pretty good, I think. But uh, over the, over the weekend, I got into the last tote, and in that tote were a bunch of comic books that I would say probably at some point used to belong to my sister: Little Lulu, Pink Panther, Bugs Bunny, that kind of thing, and they're really old, Richie Rich. But also in that tote were a bunch of magazines and some other flotsam and jetsam. But then I run across this. From 1990, Pepe Moreno, Batman Digital Justice. This is one of the first fully computer-generated comic book stories ever to be made. 1990, it was an experiment. It was generated on an apple. And it's funny because I, I reread the introduction here from Mike Gold. And he mentions Photoshop as part of this description of the experience of creating this book. And he's and 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 Photoshop in this book is two words. That's how old this book is. 1990, Batman Digital Justice. It still holds up. It's still a pretty good book. Um, it is very much a product of its time. Uh, but if you haven't read it, I do recommend that you read it. It, it, it for it, for nothing else other than the historical aspect of it. Uh, I think it's it's a it's a fun read. The other thing that I picked up that I forgot I had 
was this Mad Magazine from, what is this, January of 1981. This is uh, Alfred E. Newman's face on, on Yoda. There, This is the one where they spoof The Empire Strikes Back. I have that one in my collection. I don't. I, I. I. wasn't really big on Mad Magazine back in its in 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 its heyday, but uh, every now and again you pick one up. I have this one, this Mad Magazine spoofing Empire, and then I remembered I'd had this, but I didn't remember where it was. This is from May uh, uh, cover date May nineteenth, nineteen eighty. Are you ready for this? The cover, the magazine, Time Magazine with Darth Vader on the cover. And we've seen this photograph on online. I don't know how many places. Everybody's everybody's familiar with this. The Empire Strikes Back. This is Time Magazine's coverage of the of the sequel to Star Wars. Darth Vader on the cover. This is from May of 1980, before the movie came out. And this is the magazine. This is the issue that mentions George Lucas has plans for nine films. Or 12 films. This, this, is, this is one of the first places where that story got started. That there were more than just six so it goes all the way back to 1980. There is that. And then the other, the other stuff that was in that tote, a bunch of newspapers, um, because I, it, I am in a, a semi-regular habit of collecting headlines and newspapers when, things, when, when major events happen. Uh, the shuttles exploding, 9-11... Um, uh, uh, Oklahoma City, and there were some in there uh, of of local interest to me. There was newspaper coverage of our our graduation debacle, uh, but also there was uh, uh, some articles on the San Francisco Bay earthquake from '89, and it was it was interesting because Mrs. Boss was living in California at the time when that happened. And she picks up the newspaper. She says, oh, I remember when this happened. And it strikes me, she was actually not there in San Francisco. I think you were in Sacramento at the time. You are growing up in Sacramento. So she's close uh, and certainly has uh, more personal experiences with, with earthquakes and such. But it strikes me that there's a there's a there's a connection that people have when they experience something in their youth, uh, in in the early days of the generation, and it is uh, it is something that I think transpires every every aspect of culture. Or it doesn't it doesn't just go into historical events. It's everything. You know, generationally, when you talk about Star Wars, for example, you talk about Star Trek, you talk about uh, science fiction, or you talk about politics, you talk about religion, there is an entry point for the generation. And the legacy of a thing is sometimes 
presented as less important than it should be. There are lessons that we can learn from history. There are lessons that we can learn from events, what happened in the past. Uh, and some of those lessons are painful. Some of those lessons are productive. Some of those lessons are um, beneficial, let's say. So, uh, so I run across this one piece. Sci-Fi Snob, welcome to the chat. Uh, George did one more because everyone hated Empire. Well, he did one more, but then he didn't do just one more. He, he went back and did the next three. He did the prequels. Uh, and, and, it, and it makes me wonder if, if he had had the gumption at the time, because the prequel trilogy was mixed bag results as far as how it was received. And I wonder, uh, given how much people bagged on the, on the prequel trilogy, if that derailed his plans for 789, if 789 were ever really going to happen. I don't know, because I've seen him say in interviews that he just threw that out there, because the original idea for him, as far as, as far as I can remember him saying in interviews, is the only, the only official plan was for the six. So, I don't know, who knows. The, the story changes over time. But I ran across this on, uh, on Twitter, and of course we all know that Twitter's a dumpster fire. This is John Scalzi. Uh, take this uh, take this for what it's worth. Your mileage may vary as far as Scalzi goes. But he's writing here, quote, I'm, I'm quoting Scalzi. Uh, We're talking about the canon of science fiction literature again for reasons, most, immediate, most eminently the recent Hugo Award ceremony and its fallout, and whether basically newer writers and readers should and must slog through a bunch of books in the genre that are now half a century old at least from a bunch of mostly male, mostly white, mostly straight writers who are, shall we say, not necessarily speaking to the moment. And he goes on, as a practical matter, the science fiction canon is already dead. And he's, not, he's talking about the canon in terms of the legacy and the history of science fiction as a, as a literary genre. He says, there are, there are at least two generations of adults now and two generations of genre writers who didn't grow up on it and fundamentally, fundamentally don't care about it. And that's a very telling statement in and of itself. I'll get back to that. Long gone are the days where a kid's first introduction to the genre was a Heinlein or Asimov novel smuggled out of the adult fiction section of the library or bookstore like Samizdat. The kids these days got their start reading genre through the YA section and grew up on Rowling and Collins and Westerfield and Black and Pierce and Snicket and got their science fiction through film and TV and video games and animation and comics as much as if not more than from books. I repeat, they don't care about the canon. Why should they? What they grew up with was sufficient for what they needed, to be entertained when they became readers and fans, and to be inspired if they became creators and writers. All right, so he's basically saying that from a generation standpoint, the new fans, uh, the people who are coming into this as a, as a, as a new reader, as a new viewer, 
they don't care about the history of the genre. And that, to me, is a dangerous way of thinking because if you ignore the history, the legacy of the thing you enjoy, and then for whatever reason you decide you want to create a piece of that that you enjoy, like say you want to start writing books, you want to start writing science fiction books, you want to start writing fantasy books, you want to start writing horror fiction, uh, you want to write comic books, and I think we see this in the comics industry now. A lot of people who grew up watching or grew up reading a thing, they want to make their thing like that other thing, and it becomes very derivative, and it becomes very much a hollow uh, carbon copy and paste of itself. And uh, as part of this discussion thread, uh, there's, a, there's a video clip that somebody posts with Michael Moorcock basically saying that if you're going to write a thing that's inspired by something like a J.K. Rowling or uh, a Stephen King, go back to the source. Go back earlier. Go back further than that. He's saying, you know, go back to 17th century literature, 18th century literature, because some of these stories, some of the structure of these stories, some of the things that we do in these stories date back to much earlier in the literary landscape. And I think it's very important to remember that the influences that we have are such that when you stop and consider where some of these stories came from, they are not necessarily... Uh, they don't. They don't necessarily have their origins in science fiction. You look at uh, any any story that's an allegory of some sort. But uh, but more recently, let's look at the Marvel movies. These Marvel movies are not necessarily superhero movies, uh, especially the Captain America films. In the Captain America films. You have a World War a World War Two picture. You have a political thriller, a spy thriller. You have uh, you know, different kinds of films. You know, Ant-Man is a heist movie. You take those tropes, you take those trappings, and you put it into the superhero milieu, but what you're doing is you're telling a story that dates back countless years, decades. And if I'm going to write a fantasy novel, for example, I'm not going to look at Rowling as my starting point. I'll go back to Tolkien. I'll go back to C.S. Lewis. I'll go back to uh, Grimm's fairy tales. You know, if I want, if I want to really dig into the foundation of a thing, then you go back further than just this last generation. And I think the last generation or the or the second generation, they 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 neglect or they ignore or they or they fail to to appreciate uh, the foundation on which the current offerings of genre are 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 standing. We would not have Rowling if it wasn't for Tolkien. 
I mean, and I'm not saying that Tolkien is a direct influence on Rowling. They're far, far from it. But the the ideas that are presented in modern fiction uh, are sometimes, and, I, and I'm not saying this is all the time. I'm I'm painting with a broad brush here, but I'm I I'm I'm struck by the the way that people perceive a thing. It's it's almost like, and we've seen this this criticism before when it comes to. Things like Star Trek Discovery, where they were making a big deal out of Michael Barnum because she's a woman and because she's black. I'm like, well, we, we've had female leads before. We've had people of color in the lead before. Why, why is this a big thing now? Because it's not the first time, but you have a lot of people that are making a big deal about certain things because as if it's the first time this kind of thing has happened. And it's not. You know, I look at, I look at the the Harry Potter novels, and the Harry Potter novels are an easy read, but they're not groundbreaking by any sense of the word. They're okay. They're not fantastic genre breaking literature. I mean, they they have an impact, yes, because they got a whole generation to read. But at the same time, we have a whole generation out there whose only frame of reference for comparing everything in life is the Harry Potter books. And that's annoying. Um, it's, yeah, uh, Sci-Fi Snob, I agree. Uh, it, it keeps the interest over the 20 movies. Each one is a different movie with a superhero skin. That's exactly what it is. Uh, Mazur says, if you're going to write based on something else, you should do research. Oh, wait, Snob says that. If you just want to write sci-fi, just write it. Uh, Mazurus, it's a big thing now because every generation coming of age seems to have this strange need to make its mark. Historic perspective is highly underrated. Um, yeah, well, and and I think I, I I well I don't know if it's politics so much as it's it is it's more than politics. I think politics is a byproduct. I think the political ideology of a lot of these people is a byproduct. I don't think it starts at politics, honestly. And here's why. Well, it's here's why I think this. Not necessarily here's why it is a start of politics. Here's why I think this. Because we have at least one, probably two, maybe three generations now who have grown up wired in. Devices, computers, cell phones, all of these different ways that you can instantaneously gimme, gimme, gimme. It is that uh, that um, immediate gratification. I want it now. And with the ease of access that we have with the Internet, these people are used to everything being at their fingertips. Uh, Dr. Jean Twenge, who's a, a professor of psychology at San Diego State University, she calls them the iGen. It is a generation, and, and this affects mental health, it affects emotional health, because this immediate gimme, gimme, I want it now, carries over into everything else. And it also feeds into that, if it didn't, you know, if it didn't happen, you know, if it happened before I was born, it didn't happen. History is falling by the wayside because it's not an immediate thing. And it's not of interest 
It's not of immediate interest to people, which is why we're seeing a lot of mistakes being repeated. If you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. And we're starting to see that play out this, this year especially. But this, this sense of delayed gratification and putting something off as a reward for doing something is an alien thought to so many people. We want it, and we want it now. Because I can, I can zap a pizza in a microwave in 30 seconds. I can, I can dial up any video that I want on YouTube. I, I, can, I can learn things. I can, I can watch things. I can, you know, I can listen to music with just a you know, click of a button. And there's no sense of appreciation for the work that's involved to, to get a thing. And and it's not just here. We saw it with you know, uh, you know, pirate downloads and and torrents and 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 that kind of thing. I want it now. Um, and I think I think that uh, is a cultural thing that bleeds into everything else. It feeds a narcissism. It feeds a, a, a sense of entitlement because it's so easy for me to get this thing. It should be easy for me to get that thing. And it's those folks who are now getting into the creative aspects of genre. I'm going to write. And, they don't, and some of them don't realize how much work it takes. Uh, how much is involved in writing a thing, you know? And and some of them don't appreciate the fact that some people are not going to like their work. How dare you not like my work? And their response to the people who don't like their work says a lot more about them than it does about the people who don't like their work. And it feeds into people not liking their work because I'm not going to like you because you called me a name and I was just trying to help. These, these back-and-forth antics online, uh, and we were talking about this yesterday with David Levine, the, the, the social media construct, the social media culture, is, in my view, more harmful and more dangerous and more damaging to our society and to the culture as a whole than just politics. Uh, it, it is one of those things where there are generations, and I include in that the younger elected officials, who don't have a grasp and understanding of history. There is no context for a lot of these people because they have not taken the time to learn the context, to learn the history of a thing. And that goes for science fiction literature, that goes for comic books, that goes for movies and television. 
you know, we were, we've been talking about, you know, we were talking about on the H2O podcast on Monday night, are fans of a thing the best suited to be making the thing? We talked about, you know, Star Trek and Doctor Who and, and Star Wars, and, and it's a mixed bag, sure. Um, you see interviews with John Favreau talking about, you know, going back, you're basically making Star Wars for two audiences, the ones who know it and the ones who don't. And you have to, you have to do something that works on two levels at that point. Um, and, and there's a question of whether or not Kurtzman is a fan of Star Trek or not. It, it, it's, it's the, the product that is being made by some of these people causes fans to question whether or not they actually understand the thing they're trying to make. Uh, and and it's mixed results. Uh, I'm still, you know, for me, the jury is still out on Star Trek Lower Decks as far as whether or not Mike McMahon actually likes Star Trek and is gently poking and, and spoofing it, or if he just really doesn't get it and is, and is doing a, a straight-up parody. I want to be charitable. I want to, I want to accept and acknowledge his his uh, statements that he's a fan of next generation you can see some of that in in the show but it's just not very well done in my opinion and i have to i have to sit back and remind myself that not everybody and i'm i don't want to say biased uh, i'm compromised let's say because the, the thing that I do as a media producer, uh, and I've been doing this for 30 years, so this is not just me as a fan with this site and, and this channel and, and these shows, but as I've grown up in that world, of making films and making television shows and making TV commercials, I, I know how the sausage is made. And so it's hard for me, it's a challenge for me to just sit back and enjoy a thing for being the thing, whether it's a TV show or a comic book or anything else, because I know I'm hampered, I guess, I'm compromised by the fact that I know too much about how it's done. And I have to remind myself that in the general population, in the general public, there are a lot of people who don't know how it's done. They just see the end result, and that's what they see, and that's what they like or they don't like. And there are a lot of people that are not paying attention to the back and forth and the, and the sniping and the griping and, and all of that that's going on in social media and online. And their lives are probably the better for it. But there are people who are fans who now have channels. And it's this democratization of the media in, in, in that landscape. It's the, the, you know, the ability. Every, the good thing is anybody can have a channel. The bad thing is anybody can have a channel. And so your mileage may vary in terms of who you're watching, who you're listening to. Uh, and what they're saying, because some of them are like me, where they know how the thing is done, 
and some of them are fans and they don't know how it's done, but they're learning quickly and they're very much paying attention to what's being said and what's being done and the interviews and the behind the scenes and all of that. And they're, and they're educating themselves, but there are others out there that just don't care. Just give me the thing. So it's, you have to, it's a, it's hard to, to pin everything into this one thing and put it into this one box. If we could do this, it would fix everything. And, it, and there is no easy fix. There is no quick, uh, uh, one-size-fits-all answer to make everything better. Um, yeah, it just, I see, I see how things are going. Uh, and and sci-fi snob, you're you're right. The, the history, it's hard to get concerned when you know how it all ends. And and we've seen this kind of thing before. And I don't want to. I'm not going to invoke the the Roman Empire, the bread and circuses. But there are days. There are days when it feels like bread and circuses. It really does. And. Yeah, you know, as I, as I as I've said before, <clears throat> and I and I pointed it out again yesterday. Uh, we live currently. I think we are living in a time uh, where we are at the intersection of 1984, Brave New World, Fahrenheit 451, and Animal Farm. We're all equal, but some are more equal than others, and we're burning Bibles. And we're telling each other that X is orange when X is actually not orange. And the damage that is going to be done to our culture is going to be significant. I'm not going to say we can't recover. We can. We have before. We have made strides. We've made progress. But we've also taken steps back. And I think 2020, 2019 and 2020 have been huge steps backwards in our culture. Uh, and I think, you know, I mean, you can't lay it all at the feet of Mark Zuckerberg and, and Jack Dorsey. It's not just social media. It's a lot of things. It's politics. It's culture. It's It's entertainment. It's media, journalism. It's a combination of those things. And it's a reaction to those things as well. That factors into it too. There are, there are people on, on both sides of it who are not contributing solutions. Uh, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem, that sort of thing. There are people who are reactive. There are people who are reactionary on both sides, uh, on all sides. I don't want to say both sides. It's not a binary. There, there are all sides. And um, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around an answer that's going to satisfy everybody because not the, some people don't want an answer. Some people don't want it fixed. Some pe like the Joker said, some people just want to see the world burn. There are some people like that. They just are, they thrive on chaos. They thrive on um, mayhem. They thrive on discord. Uh, and, and there are some people, as 
uh, I think it was, I think, I want to say it was Frederick Douglass. There are some people who, th- who, who profit off of victim, v- victim status. There are some people who profit off of, you know, blaming other people for their, their station in life, their status, their, their success or lack of success. There are people who profit from being a victim. They've learned how to turn an entire, I mean, create an entire industry around it. And you have uh, this, this generation who feels like criticism is a personal attack. And nobody is allowed to not like a thing anymore. It's going to bite us in the back a little um, the heat death of the universe. Yeah, well, uh, <clears throat> that's good. Civility never required your personal belief in anything. It never will. And that's right. And, and, and being civil to someone, I'll, 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 to extend that further, being civil to someone does not necessarily mean you have to agree with that. So that someone we can, in in civilized society, we can disagree on things and not have it burned to the ground in in a in a slugfest. You know, we can agree to disagree. We can disagree without being disagreeable. Um, it doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with the personal aspect of something. Whether you like, you're, you're right. It, whether you like someone or not doesn't factor into it. It shouldn't anyway. And if you go back far enough, uh, you go back far enough to, to, you know, Scripture when Jesus says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, it, it, this is this is historical. Treat people the way you'd like to be treated. That's not a hard thing to do, whether you are a person of faith or not. Whether you consider yourself high-minded or not, it, it's not hard to be kind and polite and respectful. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort unless you've got anger and, and selfishness issues. Maybe? I don't know. Anyway, I'm just ranting today. Just a couple of thoughts, some random bits and and, and pieces. It's you know, there there are, there are there's no easy answer. There's not going to be an answer. And if anybody did find an answer, they'd be taken out back and shot because you know if if you fix a problem, then you don't have the problem to complain about, and you can't blame somebody else and and profit off of it. So, uh, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, uh, not to be too much of a downer, but tomorrow uh, we will have uh, uh, Christopher Carter, Lolita Ripnanis, and Michael McQuiston on uh, talking about their work in the Warner Brothers animation. Christopher and I go back, way back to the early 90s. We were, uh, we were college classmates uh, before he graduated and went out to Los Angeles and started working with Shirley Walker. Uh, who was a composer for the Batman animated series. His uh, Christopher's career goes back quite a ways. 
And uh, the three of them, uh, Chris and Lolita and Michael, have been working together for a number of years on a number of projects, uh, most of them in the Warner Brothers animation box. Uh, so we'll be talking to them tomorrow about that work and uh, might get some hints about Young Justice Season 4. I don't know. We'll see. They are uh, they are currently at work on that. And then on Monday, Robert Geronimo will be here to talk about his comic book over at uh, Alterna Comics. It's called Blood Realm. And I believe he's the writer and the artist, I think. I need to check on that. But he'll be in here on Monday. And we're working on a few other invites, a uh, little... Uh, a little, uh, a little, you know, updating the guests stuff. Um, Sorry, my rants aren't bad. I should consider putting out short 10-minute rant videos. Might increase the traffic. Maybe. I might think about that. I will take that suggestion under advisement, sir. We do have some new stuff in the works. We've got some more, uh, some more ideas for shows in the hopper things that are in development uh we're we're going to try to beef up our horror side of things with a couple of with a couple of things so be looking for that here in the next couple of months and on friday manny Cotto and robert Byer, robert meyer burnett will be uh, joining me on deep space minds and we're always we're always open for people who are interested in contributing to the show. So if you've got ideas, if you've got uh, if you've got some things that you would like to share, uh, we are certainly open to that. Of course, the feedback for any of you who are listening or watching this in replay, uh, you can leave a comment or uh, send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me .com. If you are uh, looking to save some money on swag, let me show you this here real quick. We do have a discount code over at SuperheroStuff.com. When you use the promo code SciFi for Me 10 when you check out, you get 10% off your order. And then you can take that money that you save and uh, you can support us. We've got an account over at SubscribeStar.com. And uh, you can support us in a financial way. Certainly no obligation, of course. It's uh, It's not something that I... And too comfortable talking about it as far as like give me money, give me money. I don't like doing that that much. Uh, but but I'm I'm trying to be consistent in mentioning it at least. And if you would like a sticker or if you want to send us something for review, if you've got a book or a comic book or if you've got some sort of a project you're working on, you want to send it to us for a review. Uh, there's our mailing address: Sci-Fi for Me, fifteen oh three Main Street, number three oh five. Grandview, Missouri, 64030. That uh, address is also on the homepage of our .com, and it is under the About tab on uh, on our YouTube channel. So uh, there is that. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, if you don't want to give me the money and uh, you want to give Sci-Fi Snob the money, uh, that is uh, that is certainly your prerogative. He does have a channel here on uh, on YouTube as well. So uh, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, we do hope that you join us tomorrow uh, for uh, Chris and Lolita and Michael. Tomorrow night, Thursday night at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, we'll have a new episode of Tardis Sauce talking about Doctor Who. I don't know what their topic is going to be yet. I've got to get with Tim and figure that out. Uh, but that'll be on tomorrow night. And then Friday night, Deep Space Minds. Of course, Saturday morning, uh, a new Good Morning Multiverse. So uh, we stay busy here, and it's all for you. So uh, 
Thanks for watching, folks. Thanks for listening. Those of you who are tuning into the podcast, uh, feel free to share and uh, hit the thumbs up on your way out. Pick up your trash, wash your hands. We'll be back tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.